good morning everyone welcome to the first edition of dell talks today we have a highly dynamic personality with us someone who's highly inspirational to everyone who knows his name we welcome mr one saluja so thanks a lot for coming up today uh, we are really honored with your presence thank you so much shob and to the whole uh, dell tech society for having me on this program thank you sir uh, i think it would be uh, it would not be justified to introduce using my mere words so i have a question which also introduces you and answers the very question we have when we hear about the name mr vansaluja so you have been a student of law in jgssip university you are a former governing body member of maitri college you have been a guest faculty you have been a campaign manager you are a prominent person in many other areas that you've worked in now you have founded the confederation of young leaders so what is your driving force in all these endeavors and what has been the motive behind starting cbyl thank you so much for your question and i think that to answer this question i'll have to take you back to my school days uh, so so my journey with regards to all these things that you've mentioned uh, started very early on and i think that this would be about uh, grade 5th or 6th when i really uh, got acquainted with all these public offices and the national movement as well the national freedom movement and i really got inspired by leaders like mahatma gandhi and then i read up about swami vivekanand uh, shahid bhagat singh uh, then it former president apj abdul kalam uh, one of the one of the turning points in my life early on in the school days was reading ignited minds a book by dr apj abdul kalam now when i read that book that really hit a chord and it made me made me realize that my life mission should be something which should align with the nation's goal and nation's aspirations and considering the fact that i was very young back back then and uh, whenever we whenever we had teachers come to us whenever we had these academic counselors come to us and ask us what do you wish to become when you grow up i always used to say i wish to join the government in some way i wish to uh, grow up and become a politician i wish to grow up and become a bureaucrat so anything that has got to do with the government and the public affairs was my response and since i was very young uh, it often uh, drew mixed reactions from students and teachers alike because they thought that uh, at such a young age it's very uh, uh, very it's it's not very usual to see someone who says that they'll grow up and become a politician when they uh, i'm when they are, when they are older or they'll just do something for the nation so i was very driven by this uh, force of doing something for the country very early on and that really pushed me to take up a career which aligns with my aspirations of doing something for the country which is why which is exactly why i took law so when i took law it wasn't because i wanted to become a lawyer uh, it was largely because i was very active in the sphere of filing a lot of right to information petitions so by the time i had uh, graduated school i'd already filed about 200 250 rti applications some of the impact that those rti applications had were widely covered by the media as well so uh, that really inspired me to know more about law and to know more about how we can bring about a positive change in the society using law and legal tools uh, which is why i took up law and becoming a lawyer was never on the uh, agenda uh, and this in tandem was also uh, the phase in the time when i was very active with the anti corruption movement that was organized by uh, mr anna hazare in 2011 so i was in school back then and uh, this is the exact period where i also got acquainted with the right to information campaign uh, so i got in touch with a lot of uh, uh, civil society leaders like uh, anjali bhardwaj uh, the national campaign for people's right to information so all these people really inspired me a lot as to how they were using right to information uh, and that made me file a lot of right to information petitions to know about a lot of things what's happening within the government and rti is a very powerful tool unfortunately a lot of not a lot of people use it uh, but when i got acquainted with the act i started using it and i also saw the impact that it was having uh, on the issues that were being raised for example we raised the issue of uh, uh, the unspent nirbhaya funds then we picked up i picked up issues from the union budget various union budgets which the government used to bring 
growing up and i used to ask questions about the unspent funds on particular program and schemes so this was really uh, i mean that phase of my life was an activist phase where i was very into right to information and all and uh, and then i got the opportunity to do law for 5 years which gave me the uh, knowledge base that is required for utilizing all these legal tools to bring about a positive change and then uh, came the third year of college when i realized that now uh, it's not only about activism but it's also about uh, becoming part of the system and trying to contribute from within the system which is why i took up a lot of roles within the government with a lot of uh, legislators with a lot of uh, uh, members of parliament with a lot of political parties so previously i was working with aap then i also worked with the leaders from congress then i also worked with leaders from bjp so across party lines because i think Uh, way early on in my journey i realized that it's not about a particular political ideology or a particular political party because working closely with so many political leaders across party lines i realized one thing that it's not about a political party or a political ideology it's more about the political intent or the political will of a particular individual because i've seen members of parliament working so hard legislators working so hard and what whatever we usually hear on social media or the mainstream media is like poles apart uh, because i think that irrespective of which pol- whichever political party it was or whichever leader it was i saw them work about 15 16 hours a day uh, and again I- i'll say that it- this was irrespective of the political party so uh, and i'm just saying this as a very biased kind of a person because i've seen people uh, leaders from all these political parties work very very hard and they that they st- used to start very early in the morning and they used to meet people uh then there were so many other governmental meetings etc and this is a routine work of a legislator across political parties and across party lines so what this also uh which what this also made me realize was that a lot of things happening within the government within the public system which we as citizens are not that aware of and which we as young people are not that acquainted and aware of so that gave me the uh, idea of having a platform wherein we can bridge this gap between the people who are working in the system and people who are outside the system and how we can bridge this gap and bring more people who are outside the system to work within the system so that really uh, uh uh that really laid the foundation of establishing the confederation of young leaders as well as you rightly know and and the theme for this discussion is also uh very close to my heart which is demographic or how we can harness the demographic dividend that we have in india so since we know that 65% of the population in india uh, today is young and india is slated to be the youngest nation in the world so we have to harness the positive energy of this huge chunk of population to bring about a change within the public system as well and what we are trying to do through cyl is to provide a platform to a lot of young people uh, irrespective of their academic backgrounds and educational qualifications but just giving them a platform and a and a, and a, a channel to work for various public programs that are being led by various governments so as i said again this is not one government in particular it can be a state government or a central government or a local government being uh, led by any political party but what we do is that we try to match uh, educated young people with various programs and policies that are being run by various governments and how they can effectively contribute in implementation of those particular policies and awareness campaigns of those particular policies and one of the very one of the very important pillars of the events that we do at CYL is track to diplomacy uh, we've already done events with about 50 60 plus foreign missions stationed in india so what we are trying to do through that is to take india to the world uh, and as you would know that track one diplomacy and track to dip- so track one diplomacy happens just to give your listeners a brief background about what track one and track two diplomacy is so track one diplomacy usually happens at the levels of the leaders so you have the prime minister meeting various presidents of the countries you have the external affairs of the minister going to various countries and we host a lot of external affairs ministers of various countries to india then there are secretarial level meetings so all of this which 
happens at the top leadership level, all of this is that happens at the top governmental level is all track one diplomacy. Now that is very closely supplemented by track two diplomacy. Now, track two diplomacy happens at the level of institutions, organizations like say CYL, and then you have other organizations, uh, other great organizations like Observer Research Foundation, Brookings Institution, etc. So all these uh, all these organizations and institutions which work closely with foreign partners, including the foreign missions, foreign governments, foreign uh, organizations, now they complement and supplement the efforts of the track one diplomacy that is being led by the leaders. So track one and track two diplomacy, you can say in very crude terms that they work hand in hand to take India to the world and to bring the world to India. So what we are also trying to do through CYL is to how as to how young people can contribute in diplomacy and that is one of the strongest one of the strong one of the strong pillars that we are also working on apart from the various national building programs that we usually do at CYL so that's largely about uh, I, I think I've taken a lot of time just in, just for the first question, but I think that this giving this context was very important so that we can lay the foundation for the conversation forward. True, sir. Actually, uh, I have a follow-up question on this. So as a student, someone who's in his final year right now, the first thing that strikes me is the unusual path that you have taken. You know, for someone who wants to go into and work with the government, the usual way would be through civil services, IAS, UPSC examinations. So uh, my question here would be that, what advice would you give to the youth who really want to strive and to have a, such a diverse career as yours? Because as I mentioned earlier, it is a very unusual path, something that a lot of people are not aware of. Right, so I completely get your question and this is one question I usually receive from a lot of students who are still in their colleges or whenever whenever I'm giving some lecture or whenever I'm give, taking some uh, academic uh, session or a class as well. This is one question that is often repeatedly asked that as to how we can contribute in uh, uh, such such programs or how can we build a similar career path as yours as unconventional as yours. So my simple question, my simple answer or response to that is that if you really wish to work for the nation, if you if you really wish to have an unconventional career, you do not necessarily have to join politics. You do not necessarily have to join civil services. You necessarily do not have to be a social worker. This is one of the biggest uh, often repeated myth as well. And as well, and it's also uh, a kind of a uh, 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 we've we've created a, a very uh, unusual kind of a social cleavage where we think that it's only the politicians, it's only the bureaucrats, it's only the social workers who are working for the country, or, uh, or if you've joined the armed forces, you're working for the country. And if you have to work for the country, or if you have to work for the community and the society, you will have to take these particular paths. But this is one of the biggest myths because if you'd see. Even an entrepreneur who is creating so many jobs is contributing to the nation in a great way. You have engineers like yourself, like yourself a lot of people in your college would be doing engineering, I suppose. So yes. we need good engineers as well. We need good doctors as well. We need people who are contributing in the services sector. We need people even... A person who is a farmer, he is contributing to the nation's economy. So we have to we have to uh, really change the discussion and discourse about uh, contributing to nation building because I often see a lot of uh, events happening, a lot of uh, talks being organized, a lot of uh, conferences being organized where they say that you the only part. I mean, they they they, they, really, they say they usually talk about and give these lofty terms about changing the world, changing the country, and the parts they show to the students or young people is that you have to join, say, the bureaucracy, you have to join politics, or you have to take these or these, these particular or limited number of parts. But for students who are listening to this, my simple advice to you would be that you do not necessarily have to be any of these particular limited parts. You can be... Uh, you can be working as an entrepreneur, creating jobs, and you can definitely be contributing to the nation as well. So you do not have to like leave, lead a very unconventional kind of a life 
to work for the nation or to work for the society at large. You can still be an engineer, you can still be a chartered accountant, you can still be a lawyer, and at the same time, you can still be contributing to the nation's growth and nation's development. So just uh, do not fall into this trap that if you really wish to work for the country, you'll have to leave your uh, dream career of, say, becoming a great entrepreneur or uh, joining uh, the, say, becoming an engineer or becoming a CA or a lawyer, etc., etc. And you'll have to necessarily join politics for really changing the country, changing the system or contributing to the world. A lot of things can happen while you're outside the system as well. And uh, as you rightly pointed out, I'm, I'm someone who has tasted uh, probably all sectors now. Like I've worked closely with the bureaucracy, cl- worked closely with the uh, politicians, the political parties as well, and then within the government as well. So uh, what 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 I saw is that I think that it's 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 really not about the path you take, but it's about what. What is the end goal that you have in mind? If the end goal is serving the community, serving the society, and like, uh, like really contributing to the nation's development and growth, you can definitely find a lot of ways to actually reach that particular path. Right, sir. I, I totally get that, sir. Just to follow a question again on your first answer. So you mentioned track to diplomatic dialogue, right? So my question here is, do you really think that it is something that is very effective, would be very effective in India's case, and if so, how do you think that India could, you know, utilize the full potential of this as an activity? And where does CYL come into the situation when it comes to track to diplomatic dialogues, which I feel personally is slightly undermined in India's case till now? Now, this is again a very interesting question. And uh, to answer this question, let me give you a few examples. Whenever we as Indians go abroad, what is what is it that Indians are like truly identified with so one of the first things that uh, usually foreign like the people outside india usually get fascinated about india is about its culture its its vibrancy uh, its spiritual uh, uh, spiritual teachings that we've like india is really known for spiritual teachings now yoga uh, for example and one of the uh, very famous thing is just a simple namaste you must have seen that uh, right after right. the after the covid uh, scenario there were a lot of world leaders who took up to namaste uh, right. so all of this is really a result of india soft part diplomacy if had hadn't we in if we hadn't invested in uh, soft power diplomacy through all these track to uh, platforms track to diplomacy organizations and through various other mediums say for example movies music even our culture a lot of it wouldn't have been possible so track to diplomacy really steps in where we complement and supplement the larger vision that is set by the track one diplomacy for so for example uh, when you have the Prime Minister of India meeting the head of state or head of government from some other country. So today itself, the Prime Minister had a meeting with uh, his counterpart of Italy. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the same time, we've had like so many meetings in the in the whole COVID phase as well. Most of these meetings have happened uh, digitally. Now, whenever the Prime Minister meets the head of state of some other country, or the head of government of some other country, they usually lay a vision that this is our vision. So, for example, India and United States of America have a comprehensive uh, global strategic partnership. Now, that vision has been laid by the two leaders of both our nations. Now, there has to be a follow-up mechanism to that vision. So, towards that follow-up mechanism, it's not only the government which works to realize that vision. There are multiple set of organizations which are working towards realizing that particular vision. So uh, you might be knowing that whenever the Prime Minister of India usually flies to a country, whenever the, whenever the President of India or Vice President of India goes to a particular country, there is an entourage of other delegates who right, accompany right. the President and the Prime Minister. And in a lot of cases, these people are representatives of businesses, they are people, they are representatives of a particular, particular industry, and there 
are at sometimes there are representatives from the cultural groupings so all these people who are not part of the governance structure but are complementing and supplementing in contributing and realizing that particular larger vision that is set by the two leaders of the uh, respective nations is all part of track to diplomacy now where we come in so what we are particularly doing through cyl is to boost youth to youth participation and contribution youth to youth connect and participation between india and other nations so for example we've i just talked about that we've done about uh, 50 to 60 events with various foreign missions stationed in india itself so yes, what we do is that we have a lot of these dialogues we have a lot of interactions between counterparts uh, from various countries we have the various diplomats from various countries talk to talk to various uh, young people across india now a lot a lot of it is happening digitally but before that we used to have uh, offline events wherein the diplomats used to meet young people coming from all across the country they used to interact with them they used to uh, know about what are the aspirations of the young indians at the same time what we are also doing is that we were trying to connect more and more young people from that particular country to the young uh, young indians so what that is doing is that it is creating these interlinkages between young people in india and young people uh, in various countries because these young people would be the ones who will be future entrepreneurs they'll be the future uh, business uh, they'll be the future business leaders they'll be the future uh, say engineers they'll be the future political leaders they'll be the future presidents and prime ministers so you really need to create a platform wherein these young people also know about a lot of countries and how india is uh trying to boost its relationships with various countries so what happens is that in the indian education system or in the mainstream media and the social media uh young indians are only exposed to a few limited countries for example they'll be exposed to western european countries they'll be exposed to uh, countries around the neighborhood say pakistan china all the countries in south asia some of them might be uh exposed to countries in southeast asia and then of course uh, uh united states of america canada and a few other countries there and then australia new zealand etc etc but we have about 200 plus nations about of which 193 nations are part of the united nations and we have an engagement with almost all the nations on the face of the earth so it's not only about these limited few nations that we as young people in india hear about in our education system or read about in the mainstream media or social media uh, right. we 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 hear about them because these are more popular in their uh, i mean because of various uh, say for example the reason why we have a stronger engagement with western european countries and united states of america is because of the presence of a strong indian diaspora in these countries as well which brings in a lot of information and brings in a lot of awareness about these countries and unfortunately we do not have a strong diaspora presence in a lot of other countries that we have a very strong engagement on paper but when it comes to people to people connect it's not that strong so what we're trying to through, do through cyl is also create those people to people interlinkages between india and countries hitherto where we did not have that a stronger people to people interaction so for example just just to give you a few examples we've done events with countries like chile we've done events with countries like uh, bolivia uh, seychelles now these are countries which we do not usually hear a lot in uh, uh, the mainstream media or the so- or social media or even through uh, all the pop culture references that people usually have here in india so but what we are doing is that we are also we are trying to create these interlinkages with countries which are not i mean which which not which, not, which might not be that popular but are very very important diplomatically i understand so um, so uh, let's move from international diplomacy um, to the nation's current scenario so uh, as you might have seen there is a, there has been a paradigm shift when it comes to the political leadership of this country like uh, earlier on it was very assumed that you know an elder a highly experienced individual was the one who would probably lead the country however in today's scenario we can see that a lot of young people are joining politics and there has been a lot of shift when it comes to the leadership of the nation so considering your experience with the government politicians bureaucracy and also your work associated with various youth centric organizations like institute of governance and leadership cyl national youth parliament 
sir what do you think will be impact of this paradigm shift first and second how do you think that the participation of youth in indian politics can be increased so uh, thank you for those questions again shubh i think these are these this is a very very pertinent question and to the theme of discussion today because youth participation is really the tool through which we can propel india to be a 5 trillion dollar economy that we that the government so often talks about and also a key to bring about the good governance which a lot of institutions keep talking about but we haven't really been able to achieve that uh, aspiration that we have to deliver good governance to the citizens of india why i say this is because young people uh, inject in fresh ideas they inject in innovative ideas and wherever you see that there has been uh, uh, so uh, just taking the example of covid covid itself there was so many young good bureaucrats who took up these initiatives to contain the virus you must have hear, heard about the bhilavda model in rajasthan yes, and yes. there are so many other uh, innovative techniques which were injected by whom now these were people young bureaucrats who were just fresh into service and they used technology they used new age ideas so i mean when you bring in young people in governance you bring in young people in politics you bring in young people in administration they will change the face of administration they will change the face of politics so So it is absolutely necessary that we have more and more young people joining politics, more and more young people joining bureaucracy. But then again, a rider being that if you are not able to join this because of so because of whichever reason, you do not have to be disheartened that you cannot contribute to the nation's development. Just as I said earlier, so of course these are areas where we must inject more and more fresh talent, more and more young people to join all politics, to join bureaucracy and administration in whichever way possible. But it's it is not the only way that that is something that I also like to say because I've seen a lot of people getting disheartened. So for example, when we talk about the civil services itself. there are a million people who fill in the applications there are half a million people who give the examination and just about a handful of them get selected now about say half a million or a million people do not get selected only say 700 and 800 people are getting selected into the civil services every year now right. this huge chunk of population who's not getting selected are equally committed towards the nation's development they are equally committed to do something good for the nation and good for the society now we shouldn't we shouldn't waste this huge potential and the huge we shouldn't waste this huge talent pool that we have so i think that we have to create platforms we have to to create uh, we have to create these opportunities that can help uh, help of course the government but also help other institutions the public institution as well to take the benefits of this huge talent pool of young people that we have so uh the second part of your question was how we can uh, boost youth participation in politics and uh, yes, the yes. public administration so just to do that i think that a lot of uh, impetus should come from the political parties and the government institutions from them of of the a lot of impetus should come from the public institutions and the political parties itself and i think that a lot of it is changing now uh, just to quote a few examples if you would see that uh, in the recent past there have been a lot of internship programs started by political parties a lot of internship programs started by various government departments gov- yes, uh, uh, a lot of uh, legislators elected representatives also have also started these internship programs and most of the people who join these internships are very very smart young individuals so there are uh, now ample amount of opportunities for young people to get acquainted with the administration at the grassroots level either through working with political parties with political leaders legislators elected representatives or even government bodies like uh, you have like state women commissions uh, national women commissions human rights commissions and you have uh, minority rights commissions and then you have bodies like uh, uh, the cic so there are so many amp- niti aayog so there are so many opportunities which are at uh, offer and i mean there are so many opp- opportunities that are being offered to young people it's also about how young people take benefit out of all these opportunities and one one particular thing which i have also realized is that there's a lot of information asymmetry and there's a lot of uh, uh, lack of access to information right kind of information which is why a lot of young people are not able to uh, take benefits out of all these opportunities that come up 
so what we are trying to do is that also through CYL, what we have done is that we have created a portal wherein we keep on feeding a lot of information about various opportunities in the public sphere which young students and young people can avail of. So, and it's not only about uh, uh, like the national opportunities, but international opportunities as well. Uh, since we have uh, a huge network of organizations that we are uh, working closely with, not only in India, but abroad as well. What we do is that we try and create, uh, we've created this platform where we, we feed in a lot of information to young students and young working professionals across India. I think we've been give, sending out information to about 2,000, 5,000, 2 to 3,000 uh, uh, students and about uh, 3 to 4,000 young professionals, if I'm correct with the, with the statistics. I, I do not have the latest statistics, but this is something which I was aware of the, uh, the last statistic that we had. So we are reaching out to thousands of young professionals uh, and young students who are taking availing these uh, opportunities as well. And uh, of course, if you if there are listeners in this, if, if there are uh, students in your uh, uh, college as well who would like to take uh, avail this opportunity of working in various institutions, we'll be more than happy to send them all this information as well because I think that it's very very important to have the right kind of information at the right time as well, uh, especially when you are a college student. It gets very very overwhelming sometimes there is an overflow of information you do not really realize that which information is more relevant for you and which is irrelevant so what we are trying to do is that we are creating we have created a kind of an information bank where we only send the relevant kind of information to students and uh, that has had a very very positive impact so when we keep on talking about boosting youth participation in politics or boosting youth participation in governance I think we really need to create that particular platform wherein the young people would actually have an entry point into joining all these organizations and institutions so that's something which we are trying to do and uh, uh, a lot of I think a lot of trust also needs to come from young people and this will happen gradually and when the perception also changes about public institutions because there's a lot of uh, negative perception about the public institutions and governance structures in India as well because when you when you talk about when you talk to young when you usually talk to young people about public institutions uh, uh, the, the, the level of trust that we have on public institution in, in India is not that much. So when yes, I think it's 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 both interrelated, when we have more young people and when we have more fresh talent joining in uh, these public institutions, there'll be an eventual perception shift as well, because they'll be injecting these new ideas, they'll be bringing in these new, uh, new, they'll be experimenting new things. So this will also bring in a perception change. So both goes hand in hand. So once we have, once we inject more young people in these institutions, there'll be a perception change which will bring in more more young people into these institutions. So we have to create that push and pull factor. Right, sir. And so I really think that we're on the verge of creating that shift when it comes to that negative image that we have in our minds when it comes to working with the public institutions, working in the public domain in general. Absolutely. Yes. And I really think that the speakers that, you know, our listeners will be listening to this podcast would be interested in utilizing the uh, resource and the page that you have with CYL because as you said information asymmetry is a very real problem like being, right. a, being a final year student I myself face it it's really tough for you to decide which opportunity is relevant and for that matter which opportunity is genuine in its nature right right I totally agree with you so there so uh, moving to a place where we actually started knowing you as a person like for me as a person I'm sure you might not remember it but I have uh, been into like four or five committees where you have chaired me. I think I've won a couple of them. And that is the place where we start to know you. Like we know, we hear the name Mr. Vansaluja. And that is from where I got to know about CYL in general. So moving to a question related to Model United Nations. So do you Uh think that activities like MUNs, debates are only academic in nature or do they actually lead to an overall personality development of a person? When you talk about MUNs, I think it definitely leads to an overall personality development, but a lot depends on the students who are participating in these MUNs. If you are a student who's participating in an MUN only for an award, or you're just participating in that particular conference for uh, just chit-chatting with people, just socializing, I think you wouldn't really be taking uh, you wouldn't really be taking back a lot of positive things that MUN can MUNs can actually provide you. So it's also about what is your particular 
what what is the takeaway that you really want after attending a MUN conference? So, for example, for me, uh, even while I was a delegate or even while I was uh, uh, officiating and as, and as an executive board member during my uh, MUN uh, career, I would like to say, but I, I always had a very learning kind of an attitude. I never went to an MUN conference to win an award or I never uh, chaired a conference just to just uh, for the sake of chairing it or just for the sake of, say, uh, getting a check of XYZ amount after the conference. My attitude was always a learning attitude. And I think that has really contributed in my particular uh, career growth and a personal uh, growth, both at the career level, the professional level. Level and as a at the personal level as well, and I think that if you are an individual who's still confused about MUNs or you're just starting out your MUN, uh, or you're just starting out going to MUNs, or even if you've done like some significant amount of MUNs up till now and you you, you still wish to continue to do it, just have a very learning kind of an attitude when you're going to these conferences because these conferences can really change your life in a way that you'll surely be. Uh, exposed to uh, exposed to humongous amounts of information which you might not have uh, known of up till now you'll be meeting all kinds of people you'll be you'll be of course you will learn a lot of these soft skills about uh, negotiating uh, uh, just public speaking uh, you'll you'll learn a lot about documentation now these are all skills which you, which you can only learn when you're going with a learning attitude if you're just going right. there with ulterior uh, motives and I hope that you all know which motives I'm talking yes, about. Yes. Uh, you wouldn't surely be learning a lot of uh, positive things or taking positive things about an MUN. MUNs would then just be uh, these uh, socializing events for you where you'd be going, you'd be meeting different people and uh, you would be participating in a conference for the sake of it, for the certificate or any, any XYZ thing. So if you're going to an MUN with a learning attitude, I can assure you that you are it has the capacity to change you as a person completely. And I, I'm not saying this out of the blue because this is something which I've seen throughout my MUN career. Uh, so I started my MUNs, I think... Uh, in, in grade 8th or ninth, I started as a conference right. staff. Okay, so this was, I think, in grade 7th or 8th. I started I started out as a conference staff. And then the next year, I became a delegate. And then gradually, I kept on doing more conferences. And then eventually, I became the executive board member. So it's, it's a whole journey. So I've actually seen people change their lives through MUNs. But this can, again, the only rider is that you have to have a learning attitude. And you have to respect the sanctity of the conference so you have to so when you when you talk about muns being an academic simulation it's much more than an academic simulation i'd say it's just not about the conference it's also about how you are applying the knowledge and the skills you are acquiring out of an MUN beyond MUNs. So, for example, I've seen people who really learned the skill of, uh, say, public speaking, and they took that particular skill to a great level, and they've been part of international conferences, not MUN conferences, but international conferences of international organizations. And they've interned in various uh, government bodies, they've worked with various international, they're working with various international organizations, they international media organizations, national media organizations. Now, I'm not saying that it's only MUNs which have contributed to these particular individuals' uh, professional growth, but a lot of it had to do with the skills they had learned through MUNs. And if I, I completely remember uh, during my school days and even in, in my initial college years, uh, there were these set of people who used to do MUNs and then you had this huge chunk of people who did not do MUNs and you could like clearly make out that this particular individual would, would be either a debater or an MUNer and this particular individual won't be a debater or an MUNer because that that, that the way of speaking, the way of uh, conducting yourself, a lot of it, a lot of it comes through these conferences. So, I think that MUNs, just to wrap it up, I think MUNs definitely have the capacity to change the way you think, to change the way you speak, and change the way you uh, conduct yourself. But the only uh, the only rider is that you have to consider these conferences. Uh, uh, you have to just respect the sanctity of the conference and have a learning attitude always. 
Right, sir. sir. I couldn't agree more with you on this, really, because I too started my career in MUNs in class ninth back in school, and since then it has shaped me as a person. I have changed the way I conduct myself, and really the way you, the exactly the ways you think and the way you talk to people totally change. And you can make out the difference between someone who's into MUN and debating and someone who's not. And I really think if today, uh, which I believe, you know, there has been a dilution when it comes to the. Uh, quality of the participation in mun but if that goes up the way mun shapes up a person will actually be visible again right. to you know everyone who's participated right uh, so to a concluding question uh, you know given the current scenario given the current economic scenario globally as well as nationally uh, a striking fact that we can still see is that india's india's demographic dividend will last for another 40 years or so right so so what do you think that the government or anyone for, for that matter who who has the potential to change things uh, should do in order to maximize the usage of this potential that we have considering the downslide that we are facing due to the covid-19 scenario right now now this is a very very important question and i think that this is not a question just for us to think but this is for each and every right thinking individual who actually thinks that india has the potential to play a major role in the global sphere has to think about because we have this golden opportunity when the world is aging we still have this huge chunk of youth population and we'll be the youngest nation in the world uh, way soon and I'm, i'm i'm not sure whether we've already crossed that uh, particular uh, milestone but when we have this huge chunk of population who are in their prime age and who have the potential to really contribute to the uh, nation's development i think if you're not harnessing this potential we are doing a great disservice to our nation and i think that the government itself has risen up to this challenge which is why they've brought the new education policy that has come up after the 1986 reforms that we had so it's it has almost taken us about 34 years to bring out a new education policy and if you just go through the fine print of the new education policy a lot of thrust is on harnessing this demographic dividend that we have so a lot of reforms that are being brought through the new education policy you talk about promoting vocational skills you talk about promoting entrepreneurial skills you talk about promoting new age uh, technical skills say coding at uh, at the grade 6 level etc so a lot of these things uh, although i know that all of these things sound very good on paper and when it comes to the implementation we'll still have to see as to how these things are implemented but at least i'd say that the intent is clear the intent is there that we need to harness this huge demographic dividend that we have so i think that this at least this intent was to Uh, this intent was very important to be shown uh, because what was happening was that before this new education policy was brought up and by the way uh, just let me add a caveat to that this new education policy itself is being debated and discussed since 2014 so now it has taken about 6 years to even this, even for this new education policy to come into being uh, and why i remember this is because in 2014 uh, i written to the uh, then hrd minister shri mati smriti irani and uh, she had given me an audience so i had actually gone there and we had uh, uh, i had given her a proposal about so that that was the time when i was working very closely with various education departments and i was very active in the education sector so she she had invited she was very very graceful and kind enough to give me an audience and uh, we briefly i briefly told her about uh, what i think that young people should really uh, what what young people actually wish to have in the in, in the uh, new education policy and that particular draft took about 6 years to actually uh, get into the public domain there were two committees that were established and then now this draft has come up so i think that what we what we really now need to do is that we need to speed up things very fast because this demographic dividend won't last us forever we have to show uh, we have to show urgency so when it comes this is when we, when i say we i am talking largely about the government because a lot of trust has to come from the government and public institutions and at the same time the private institutions as well as the individuals have to pitch in as well we 
as young Indians should buckle up because I've seen, uh, so I, I, I've been to so many countries, I've been to so many international conferences and I must confess that when I see young people from various other countries, I, 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 I still, I, I feel very bad for uh, uh, young people here in India because I think that we have a lot to match up to the people, the kind of, uh, uh, the kind of uh, smart young people the other countries are churning out. And why I say this is because I've seen uh, uh, teenagers who are learning six languages, teenagers who've developed so many apps. And I've these these young people I'm talking about are largely from Southeast Asian countries. And when I've been to the Western nations as well, although they do not have a huge youth population now, so probably we do not have to think a lot about the Western world, but we do have uh, countries in Africa, countries in uh, Southeast Asia who are really investing on their young people and we really need to buckle up and when I'm saying we need to buckle up a lot of the responsibility also goes and the mantle also lies on the young people themselves so I think it's not only about the government as young people we also should be aspirational we should be ambitious and we should would we should really think big because I think that what has really happened is that we, as a lot of young Indians that I've talked to, I've I've been to so many cities within India as well. When I when I talk to young people, I think that we've we've stopped. We've also stopped to think big. We've kept our aspirations too low. I think it's also important that as individuals we keep our aspirations as high as possible because then we'll be at least be. We'll at least reach somewhere. If we keep an aspiration as low as it be, I have to complete my degree and then I have to get a job of, say, about 50,000 a month or a lakh per month job and then I'll be happy in my life. I think that's 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 a very uh, 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 a small aspiration to have. If we as young individuals, young educated individuals keep high aspirations and we work for those aspirations, just imagine when 65% of the population works for these high aspirations, how, how uh, what will be the speed of the country when it comes to the development? So it, it has to be about uh, becoming aspirational individuals as well. So it's also very important that as young people, we become more aspirational and we set big goals for ourselves. We set big goals for our nation. We set big goals as a community. And I think that when we have these big, grandiose goals, we'll be able to work effectively for those goals as well. If we do not have a goal, what would we be working for? We'll only be working for the small aspirations that we have. So it is very, very important that we keep huge, lofty goals. Let people laugh. Let the different countries in the world laugh. But I think that when we reach those goals, when we reach that particular, uh, uh, when we actually realize those aspirations, then I think that a lot of uh, these uh, laughters would really be mellowed down. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you on with you on this, sir. And I really think, you know, just to put in a silver lining or to the whole perspective, I think the advent of technology and for that matter, the ease by which now you can access the internet in India. Like uh, I'm not talking about the coverage, but probably the cost, because as I, I think I know this, that India is one of the lowest uh, uh, cost for internet countries in the world. So I... considering the demographic dividends that we have and the, asymmetric information that existed before the internet era started. I right. think the opportunities that you're talking about, the buckling up of the youth is something that can be achieved in India today through the internet. Because Absolutely. You know, right. Because people like you, people like, like the organization, like Confederation of Young Leaders and various other student organizations are easily accessible on the internet. Absolutely. Put in a lot of information on the net. And I really think internet is the key probably to, you know, reach to this uh, goal that we have. You know, even this very podcast is something that can be accessed to the internet. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that uh, the COVID pandemic has served us, uh, has given us this blessing in disguise when we've shifted a lot of our operations online, shifted a lot of our... I mean, there are companies who've shifted completely online and they are now saying that we wouldn't have our offline offices. So there, there was this... Uh, before the pandemic, we used to have these discussions and seminars about future of work. Now, I think this future of work is has really been ushered upon us. Now, some people would say that it has been imposed upon us, but I think that it has been a blessing in disguise because uh, the the 
digital divide that was there for the pandemic and of course now even now we have a huge digital divide that we need to fill in but i think that you rightly said that because of the accessibility of the internet the cost of the internet and the internet penetration and actually this is one of the biggest myth that young people have i was i was judging a policy competition two weeks back wherein uh, there were teams who were completely who were repeating this again and again that we need to uh, boost uh, internet uh, we need to have more and more users in the rural areas but you'd be surprised to know that a lot of people do not know this that the rural internet users have far exceeded urban internet users so there was a right, report right. Uh, recently which was released by one of the uh, major associations and they're saying that the penetration of internet in the tier 2 tier 3 cities and rural areas has far exceeded urban areas right now so we we people living in cities have created these uh, presumption and, and assumptions about people living in tier 2 tier 3 cities or the rural areas that do not they do not have access to internet or they do not have access to uh, these new age technologies i think that this is one of the biggest myth that needs to be broken and now that we know that the internet penetration is increasing to all these areas what we as young individuals should do is that we need to bridge the gap in terms of opportunities as well we need to take the opportunities that people in the cities and the big urban areas enjoy to these people who are living in tier 2 tier 3 cities to rural areas as well so that we can match the level of development that we have in the cities in these areas as well right sir and i really think you know uh, again to put you know look at the positive outlook of the covid pandemic is that we have realized and harnessed the true potential of this technology called absolutely you know until now we were focused on movies songs you know looking at the cricket score but i think this covid-19 pandemic has kind of thrusted upon us or forced upon us to realize the how powerful this machine or how powerful this phone that we have in our hand is and Absolutely. i really think that you know today someone like me who's you know studying in one of the top universities i am living in gurgaon one of the most modern cities in india has the same opportunities as someone who is sitting in a rural area of haryana and right. i really think and that is something that has been bridged because of this internet and as you said and i can't agree more with you on this that it's time that the youth buckles up themselves you know, take the responsibility on their shoulders just absolutely. by using a simple phone that we have absolutely absolutely and i think one one i we need to take this further by breaking our, our own inhibitions so when we talk about mobiles being a powerful tool i think that a lot of uh, uh, individuals are also very very apprehensive about using this mobile effectively so for example a lot of people when it comes to content creation they get very very insecure about how they look how they speak etc etc how what, what what is their command on english for example what is their command on a particular language i think we need to break break free from all these inhibitions as well because ultimately when you try when you experiment new things something or the other might come through so you just have to break free from all these inhibitions and just give it your all and once once you do that i think that something positive will definitely come out I, I agree, sir. And I think on this note, we can really conclude this talk. And uh, to all our listeners, uh, I think the one statement that you can probably take away from this conversation is that there's always a po- positive outlook onto anything that you face in life. Like in this COVID nineteen nineteen uh, issue that we are facing, uh, it's all upon you whether you take this as a curse and sit and just crave onto the fact that you're not able to go to colleges, as a lot of my classmates are saying. but at the same time you can probably harness the true potential of the technologies that you have and you know probably get ahead in your life probably you know think about those goals that as once or said you know people would laugh upon when they hear it from you but some day we might actually go forward and go out of the limp and get onto those goals so i think with this uh, we can really conclude today's talk uh, thanks a lot once or once again for coming up today it was amazing to talk to you amazing to have a one on one conversation especially since it's been years i've been uh, taking committees under you and i really thank my team here in deltek for organizing this thank you sir thanks a lot thank you so much shob and thank you so much devik and your whole team and i hope that all of you just give your best just just contribute positively to whatever you are doing irrespective of whichever field you go to and just know that whatever each action that you take can inspire hundreds and thousands of people just have this response just see yourself as an individual who has the potential to influence so many others and when you do that i am i'm sure that you'll always be doing great things 
Right, sir. Thanks a lot. Thank guys. you Thanks so a lot much. for everyone who listened to this. Thank you.